Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen on this Wednesday, the 14th of April. Let me cover some headlines here, at least give you some top lines that you may not hear elsewhere today, but you should be talking about as Christians in the culture. The federal uh, federal courts have upheld an Ohio law protecting children with Down syndrome, Down syndrome from being aborted. So in a 9-7 decision, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled against an injunction previously in place against Ohio's Down Syndrome Non-Discrimination Act. If you want to read more about that, let me recommend that you visit uh, Life News. Um, Life News covers abortion headlines from across the country, and they do a good job keeping up to date with what's happening in states across the country. Um, and so uh, this this report out of Ohio is um, is good news. Um, obviously, there are those on the uh, abortion advocacy front who intend to see um, the decision appealed. But the Ohio Attorney General, Dave Yost, said appeals court upheld an Ohio law that forbids doctors from performing abortions that they know are motivated by the unborn child's Down syndrome. This ruling will restore important protections for Ohioans born and unborn alike with Down syndrome. So that is the Ohio Attorney General uh, via Twitter. Um, several what I will describe as religious liberty headlines. Some of them you will say to yourself, well, that doesn't sound like a religious liberty headline. Um, but I want you to think deeply about what's going on here. So in New York, we've got uh, Christian creative professionals, in this case, wedding photographers, who are continuing to clash with their state and municipalities, which require them to promote messages about same-sex marriage that violate their religious beliefs. And so the latest um, version of this story, New York, New York photographer Emily Carpenter um, is worried that she's going to have to pay a $100,000 fine, lose her business license, and spend a year in jail if she declines to photograph same-sex weddings. Um, and so be watching for that and be praying for Emily and others like her. Uh, you may have missed that on Friday, the Supreme Court majority um, ruled in favor of Christians in California being able to exercise their religion freely, not just Christians, but others who want to gather for worship against that uh, state's very restrictive COVID um, limitations on worship gatherings. And then at Virginia Tech, there is a law a lawsuit alleging Um, that a conservative student or conservative students have been intimidated into keeping culturally disfavored views silent. And so that restrictive speech code um, is uh, is now um, being, I I would say, uh, made public, right? The darkness is being, uh, light is being shed on the darkness in terms of what's happening there at Virginia Tech. do you remember the Bostock case? So this is a ruling in June of 2020. Um, the, the Supreme Court ruled in Bostock versus Clayton County. We talked about this. It's a Title IX Civil Rights Act case 
Um, and after the the court's decision, the Department of Justice issued guidance um, that limited the scope or confined the scope of the ruling. And so under the Trump administration, the, the Supreme Court's Bostock ruling, which prohibited discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity uh, in terms of employee, employer-employee um, relationships, that um, guidance, Department of Justice guidance, has been, quote-unquote, updated. Suffice it to say that the Biden administration supports allowing individuals um, to play on teams of their gender preference. And so the Trump administration Title IX um, guidance has been um, set aside and new guidance has been issued. And so you you can you can watch for information, more information related to that in terms of the extension of the Supreme Court ruling in the Bostock case. All right, we got a lot of other things to cover today, but our friend Daryl Crouch is waiting in the wings. So let's get to a conversation with him. Uh, as a local church pastor, he preached his last sermon this past Sunday, so he's not likely preparing a sermon this week. And I'm going to ask him what that feels like. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me again this morning, uh, Daryl Crouch. He's still a pastor, but now he's a pastor without a pulpit, and we're going to talk about that today. Daryl, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, great to be with you. Thanks a lot. And maybe, maybe that's not even the right way to say it, because maybe God has just extended your pulpit in ways that we don't traditionally think about. So talk with us, reflect on this past Sunday, um, reflect on you know being in the middle of a week when you don't have to prepare a traditional sermon. Like, tell us what you're feeling. Yeah, I appreciate all that. I um, I need to download it with somebody, right? And so, uh, but no, it, Sunday was great. Our church has been so gracious, and they um, they sent us off as um, as really missionaries, as we would any mission team or any person going off to the mission field. They uh, prayed over us and blessed us, and um, so that that really is in our DNA as a church, and and so we just believe that what we're doing with everyone's Wilson and with this network or coalition of churches is is really mobilizing people uh, that uh, love Jesus are in our churches and mobilizing them into the local mission field, just like any international missionary would do when they r- arrive in their uh, city or town or village, uh, they would. Um, uh, find a platform and operate and uh, determine uh, what the needs are in the city and begin to meet those needs. And so we really see ourselves as a local mission sending organization. So very much connected to the local church. And so they sent us off that way and it was wonderful. And uh, we're hitting the ground running this week. Uh, we'll take a little time off here in a couple of weeks, but we wanted to get things up and running before that. But uh, it is surreal. There, uh, I've not done anything else uh, as an adult uh, in the last 28 years, but uh, be a, a local church pastor. So uh, there's a little bit of recalibration. Uh, I think there's something refreshing in the soul about it, uh, but certainly um, there's no greater work in the world than serving the local church. And uh, there's no uh, other, there's no plan B in the redeeming work of the Lord in the world than the local church. And so we just want to support 
uh, our local pastors and help them equip their people and move them out. So we're excited about a lot of things. The clickety-clack, uh, as Chuck Swindoll used to call it, the click, clickety-clack of of a week to week to week ministry, uh, those rhythms are changing, and so I'm still trying to. I'll, I'll be trying to find my groove for a while on that. But uh, certainly, um, Sunday's coming, uh, but uh, not in the same way it has been for the last uh, 28 years or so. So there's a lot of people listening who you know they have been through a pastoral transition. They have had had a pastor. Um, leave for one reason or another, and they've been through that transition in their own church. But many of them, um, you know, are not in the sort of brand or variety of church that you have served. So um, when a pastor leaves for positive reasons in this case, or sometimes for negative reasons for removal, there is then this process that every local congregation goes through. What will that process be like for the congregation you have served? Yeah, so we'll identify, and they have our elders are just great folks and and love the Lord and are capable leaders, and so they've identified an interim pastor who will primarily take care of much of the preaching responsibilities and provide uh, you know consistency in the pulpit there. Some of our elders also are really good in that platform as well, and so they'll serve um, and and preach uh, for a uh, when, when necessary, and then the elders will form a, a search team. Uh, they'll be that search team, I think, for the most part, and then include other folks from the congregation. Uh, most of what happens, I think, in in our tribe or in our tradition is um, um, uh, just through a network of relationships. Uh, I think, mm-hmm. w- you know, uh, prospective pastors will emerge. Um, I do think it's a great model to raise up the next pastor from within and uh, we just uh, didn't quite make it to there, and we we just weren't uh, right in the in the right spot for that. But I think um, those transitions are can be very helpful as well. Uh, the other thing I'd say for listeners that are part of a church and been through transitions, transitions can be really hard, and uh, they can be hard for a number of reasons. But I do think change is a sanctifying work of God. So. I think uh, he uh, leads us through those difficult times or times of uncertainty or instability. He is sovereign over those. He's sovereign over the people that are involved in that transition. And he is working out things for our good and his glory. So sometimes we resist all that and we're a little bit inconvenienced because our sense of stability has been removed. But um, I encouraged our our church over the last few weeks, you know, these these are important times for God to grow us, all of us, me and congregation and individual members of the congregation as well. So uh, while we we don't love change necessarily, um, there's some change that we really see that is very, very positive. But in all of it, God is uh, sanctifying us. All right. When we come back, I'm going to ask you, um, where does a pastor like you worship next Sunday? Um, But then we're going to talk about Daryl's new piece that he has posted on his Substack. So this is DarylCrouch.Substack.com. Lots of people have Substacks. We talked about that the last time Daryl was on. So you're going to find him at DarylCrouch.Substack.com. And we're going to talk about the question or answer the question, are we really better together? What gets done when we work together? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I see you dressed in
continue my conversation with Pastor Daryl Crouch. Um, he is now working with an organization called Everyone's Wilson, which I am a big fan of. So I invite you to check that out. Um, so, Daryl, as you make this transition, I guess I just, you know, I, I ask a follow up question. Where do you worship next Sunday? And yeah, does well, your family we'll a... go with you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah right? Well, so <laughs> we'll we'll probably we'll stay at Green Hill. We'll stay in our church. Uh, we'll we'll continue to to be there. Uh, I'll be out and about in other churches and uh, on many Sundays, like you could imagine, just uh, preaching and teaching and and um, uh, promoting and connecting people with what we're doing. Um, but uh, for the next few weeks, we'll uh, take a little vacation time and uh, we'll got some uh, a little a couple getaways that we're going to get some rest. And so we'll be worshiping with some uh, longtime friends in other cities uh, oh, here over good. the next few weeks. Yeah. So then, okay, and I know we are going to get to the to the Better Together conversation, but I have one more question. So, because there's definitely people listening who are like, what? They're going to stay, like, in their church? Like, that doesn't seem right. How does Daryl and his family not get in the way of the next pastor? And do you see them, like, can you just address that? Because yeah. I know you're going to do it beautifully. Yeah, well, we don't know. I, mean, I, I appreciate the confidence. We really don't know. We really don't want to be in the way. We really don't want to... Um, um, you know, make that awkward for anybody. Uh, and so we don't know all that the future will hold, all that God has out there for us. We just didn't, we felt it was artificial for us to say, we're, we're living in the same house, we have the same friends, and um, we're just going to start looking for another church. We, we just felt that was a little artificial. And so uh, our uh, we've got uh, family, you know, I've got kids that are still in our in our church right and, it's their uh, church growing up yeah so it's their church too it's my wife's church too and so uh we're we're going to do our very best with that they've loved us well and we'll see how all that plays out but um uh you know I, I think our our relationship our identity in christ and our uh, uh relationship with one another as brothers and sisters in christ is is really um uh, bigger than an employment status and and so as we work this out, we'll we'll figure some of that out. But um, I think uh, for the meantime, for this for this season, for the next several months and so on, we uh, we intend to call Green Hill our home and um, continue to serve out of there and give our tithes and offerings there and um, support the ministry and be cheerleaders for our elders and and prayerfully the the new pastor who comes and be a cheerleader for for him but um we we'll, we we'll, we're walking by faith through all of this Carmen just very candidly and uh asking folks to do that with us and so they've been so gracious and we're just trusting God to to show us the way yeah i'm super supportive of that i think that it it um it's evidence of of the reality of the body and a collaborative spirit and that God calls us to um to different things but but to the same body. And so I, I just really appreciate it. Um, okay, let's look at what you've got at darylcrouch.substack.com. This is an excellent piece. Um, we are really, are we really better together? What gets done when we work together? Go ahead and um, lead us off in this conversation. Yeah, well, I've always heard that. And that's a phrase we've used even with everyone's Wilson. And um, But uh, I remember a time where I thought, Carmen, that cooperation was really far overrated because it takes so much time and it takes so it gets messy and we have to compromise. And I'm not a big fan of that. And so uh, on a personal level, so uh, it just gets a little um, messy. And so the question is, are we really better together? And uh, one of our um, flagship churches in our community, a large church, uh, 
hosted our event a few weeks ago, and the pastors used that term. And for a large church to acknowledge that cooperation is important is really a new thing, I think, over the last decade. And I've heard it from a number of larger church pastors as well. There was a time that large church pastors or even medium-sized church pastors knew that they had enough resources to do whatever they wanted to do in the city or through their um, uh, through their church and so they could hire staff they could they had the resources to to do a lot of things but all of us I think have acknowledged now that all of us no matter the size of our church or the capacities of our church we all have a lid um, because the kingdom is bigger and the city, and the community, the needs in our community are so, so profound, and lostness in our communities are, is so profound. So I think all of us understand and uh, that we are better together, but how that works and what happens. And so this article is just a, a way to remind us of what really does happen when we can uh, cooperate and relationships thrive. Uh, we trust is built and every, uh, trust is the equity of change. I mean, it is the it, it is what um, it is what allows for change to take place when we can trust each other. And so um, uh, relationships thrive in that and leaders grow together and we learn from each other. I can't I could give you examples after examples. And um, uh, I love what God's done in our community and just giving us a, a fresh wind of his spirit as people that aren't connected to everyone's will, some people that aren't maybe even in a local church regularly see what God is doing, and they say, gosh, this is a really neat community. I've never seen pastors cooperate like this. I've never I've never seen uh, people work together so quickly, uh, whether it's the American Red Cross after our tornado came through, or Salvation Army, rather, after our uh, the tornado came through a year ago. We're just uh, amazed at how well we knew each other and how connected we were and how quickly things got done because of that. And so we've seen the benefits uh, of cooperation. We've seen it uh, played out in a very tangible way so that good people or uh, the people that need help get the good help they need. And um, that's really what we want to do in the end. And, um, And we just think cities are transformed by that. We just think when people... Uh, are engaged with each other in gospel work, uh, in pockets of vulnerability, transformation begins to happen. And uh, we've seen little sprinkles of that. We're trusting God for a movement of that over the next uh, years ahead. So um, in addition to the the five things that you have listed, all of which I completely 100% agree with, so five things that get done when we work together, relationships thrive, leaders grow together, a community ethos emerges, vulnerable people get good help, um, the gospel transforms cities, I have added um, to your list. Good. So here's, here's, here, here's one of my additions. It's just Jesus-y. Mm. It's very Jesus-y to work with other people. And to work collaboratively. I mean, Jesus could have not had disciples and just done it all on his own and just, you know, called down resources as he needed them um, that were available to him as an individual. But instead, um, he, you know, he was very, very, very patient. Think about how patient he was to work with disciples, right, in order that and, – and why did he do that? Well, because he knew he was trying to build something that was going to be sustainable, that was going to actually, um, you know – be be in place to serve beyond his physical life in the here and now. And so there's a sustainability aspect to it as well. If you want what you're doing to survive you, um, then it has to include more people than just you. And so I, I really um, 
I love what you've said. Um, and then my last one would be fewer bad things happen when we work mm. collaboratively. Yeah. Bad, bad things happen when there's like Lone Ranger people out there who think it's all up to them. And they, you know, they not only gather all the resources, but they try to get all the glory. That's when bad things happen. So I think fewer bad things happen when we work mm. together. No, Those they're would so be my good. additions. I don't know how to spell Jesus-y, but I think I, I would either. include I, that as well. But, I, you know, he, he exi- Jesus exists in community with the triune Godhead. And so we know that uh, that was his M.O. as he um, gathered his disciples, as you mentioned. One of the things that happens, all of us are transformed in the context of community. Uh, certainly we can go to the mountain and God, and meet with God. Uh, we're meeting with a triune Godhead at that point as well, by the way. But um, I, I, we we tell the stories of what God did through other people. Those are the stories we tell. We tell the stories of tornado recovery, or we tell the stories of adopting or fostering a, a child and the people that came around us to help make that possible. We, those are the those are the stories we tell because that's how God uses people to sanctify us and transform our hearts. And so um, community and coming together is just a part of the way that God has wired us. And I love the uh, fewer bad things happen. There is a preventative uh, work that goes on as uh, people know one another and uh, can depend on one another. That um, uh, undernetting or that uh, safety net that we would would call it uh, is there uh, and when that safety net is there, we take bigger risks and we try better things and we trust God in a bigger way and uh, he does a better work. Amen. All right. The people are loving it. Jane, Jane sells, says, love the list. So blessings, awesome. Daryl. Um, blessings uh, on you as you move forward in this week and into this ministry. Uh, we'll all be praying for everyone's Wilson and for you and your family in this transition and for the Green Hill Church. Lots of us are in churches in transition. So always a good thing to be mindful of praying for the pastor and his family um, who is who is moving on or um, or moving forward and how to love them well and then also how to how to rise up in service to those to those uh, local congregations who now need leadership from within um, in in times of transition so just encouragement to everyone listening to do your part today in the local congregation where God has planted and invested you Daryl thanks so much oh that means the world thanks so much Carmen Mm-hmm. we got to take a brief break for Knowing God with Greg Laurie, and then we'll be right back. All right, I love it when you guys uh, reflect on what you're, what you're hearing and, uh, and you respond um, so faithfully and uh, inquisitively and with curiosity and grace. And uh, so we have a, a listener who texted in, and you can do so as well anytime you want, 877-933-2484. And she says, uh, this brought to mind Acts 2.42. The believers had everything in common, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. And then she says, I have wondered for many years what would happen if all of the gathering of believers that we have strewn across the United States would focus on devoting themselves in such a way that none among them had any need. Um, I've wondered how much that would transform everything. Uh, just focusing on this one little aspect could have incredible impact uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace, caring for the needs of uh, of the saints. 
Uh, I just uh, heard an interview yesterday that Francis Chan gave. Um, he's been out of the country for a year, out of the United States for a year, planting churches in Hong Kong. And when he came back, he just really was um, alarmingly aware of the divisions uh, among Christians here in the United States and how quick we are to attack one another, tear one another down, rip one another apart. And he, he just was really, really disturbed Um Having been gone for a year just feels like it's devolved horribly. Um, And so uh, just you're not alone in desiring that the body express the unity that Scripture declares we have. Um, And so let us as members of the body not be tearing the body apart. Let us be building it up always and in all ways and encouraging one another um, and caring for uh, the needs of one another, first and foremost, the, the needs of those within within the body. All right, um, let's see. What are we doing next? We got Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum. Oh, my goodness. We're going to have a good time with Jim. If you don't already avail yourselves of the resources of the Dennison Forum, um, I'm going to encourage you to do so. I rely on them, and so I uh, encourage you to do so as well if you're interested. So Jim Dennison up next. We'll be right back. There's an old saying about procrastination that you shouldn't put off until tomorrow what you could do today. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When it comes to dealing with a teen who's spiraling out of control, you have a lot of stuff to deal with right now. I get that, but let's push the pause button for a second. Whatever you're facing at home, whether it's an angry son, a willful daughter, or a tense household, put that old saying into play in the realm of communicating love. Don't postpone what you truly need to express right now. Surprise your kids with humility and affection. Tell your teens today that you love them, no matter what they do or say. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. favorite people to talk with, Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum. You can connect with him at denisonforum.org. Jim, welcome back. Carmen, so glad to be with you today. How are you? I'm, I am well. I am well. So you, um, I know from social media, went to see the people of Louisiana yesterday. I love the people of Louisiana. It's my second time to go down and be part of what they call their governor's prayer breakfast, 57 years They have been doing this. And when they say it's a governor's prayer breakfast, they mean that Governor John Bell Edwards is there, as he was when I was there last time. He brought about a seven or eight minute address that was from the heart, that was absolutely sincere. It was a terrific time. And they prayed. It's not a prayer breakfast where they don't pray. They literally prayed, prayed for the leaders, prayed for the country, prayed for the culture, prayed for all that everybody's facing these days. It was a terrific experience. Yeah, I just love it. So I just just appreciated you you going and serving people in that way. And um, I'm sure that we can look forward to seeing some highlights from it. Um, uh, so talk with us. Um, today at the Denison Forum, I read this. The Supreme Court ruled last Friday that California cannot bar meetings of more than three families from worshiping in a private home. First of all, there's probably people listening right now who are stunned to imagine that um, a state could forbid such, but that's exactly what was going on. So talk with us about um, what you wrote about today at the Denison Forum. 
Yeah, thank you. So Wall Street Journal is covering this. Everybody is, but they had a specific slant on it I thought was really important. So yeah, that's the backstory here is that the Supreme Court ruled last Friday overturning a, a judgment from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals that making clear that California cannot bar meetings of more than three families from worshiping in a private home. As the Wall Street Journal points out, this is the fifth time the court has overruled the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals on pandemic orders against worship as an exasperated majority points out. And then here was the point I really wanted to work off of. The journal editorial adds these words. The willfulness of the lower courts and defying the high court underscores how much religious liberty needs protecting against the militant secular values that now dominate American public life. That was in the Wall Street Journal. I highlighted that sentence as well. Um, the willfulness of the lower courts to defy the high court. Um, and the conversation here is about religious liberty. There is a there is a showdown um, in in places and spaces far and wide across the United States between the the protection of um, of my liberty as a person who is religious. Right. I mean, as that's what religious liberty is at its most basic level. It's my individual right. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Jim, mm -hmm. to live out my sincerely held beliefs in every aspect of my life. Um, that is really what is under um, under direct threat across the country. It absolutely is because of the shift we're seeing in our culture that you've talked about it. I've spoken to as well. There was a day when the church and Christianity, religion more generally, was central to culture. And then in the 60s, 70s, it started becoming peripheral to culture, kind of optional. God was a king. Now he's a hobby. He's what you do with your time. You have the right to be wrong, essentially. You can do this if you want to. Now there's another shift where religion is seen as dangerous where, for instance, gathering to worship is dangerous in the context of a pandemic, or religious morality is dangerous in the context of LGBTQ rights. And so now we're at a place where more and more courts are claiming that religious freedom is dangerous to society and must therefore be undermined, must be subsumed, must on some days be denied entirely. That's what the Equality Act, for instance, would do, and legislation like it. So, uh, Jim, there are definitely people listening right now who are saying to themselves, well, you know, let's just all peaceably go quietly behind, you know, closed doors and worship in the way that we feel is appropriate and live and let live. And um, let's worry less about um, making all of this cultural noise. I feel like that misses um, the foundational piece of religious liberty in terms of who we are as a people in the United States of America. Um, and I don't want to give up that core foundational piece of who we are. Um, so motivate, you know, speak a, speak a word of motivation to those who would say, you know what, let's, let's let faith be private and let's just everybody go and do it if they want to, how they want to behind closed doors. I'm so glad we're talking about this. It's really on three levels. The first is what you just said. This is intrinsic and basic and essential to American liberty, not just for Christians, but for all people to be able to speak what they believe. If they're a minority, they're projected by, they're protected by the Bill of uh, Rights, especially the First Amendment. That's critical to being an American. Second, it's critical to being a Christian. We're called to be salt and light, and salt's no good in the salt shaker. Light's no good under the bushel basket. But third, this is not going to end that way. We're no longer at a place where we simply have the right to be wrong. 
now there's an aggression. Now there's an initiative that we've not seen before in American history. For instance, if the Equality Act became law, if it passed the Senate and was signed by the president, as he said he would, then it becomes illegal for you to so-called discriminate by holding up biblical morality in the context of LGBTQ civil rights. So if, for instance, at our ministry, somebody were to apply for a job here who, let's say, was transgender, and let's say that we didn't give them the job and they claim that we denied them that because they were transgender and they could get a judge to agree, the judge would issue an injunction against us. If we don't agree to the injunction, somebody goes to jail. This isn't as simple as live and let live. Where this is ultimately going is to a position where if you hold biblical morality, what you're doing is essentially not just dangerous, but illegal. That's an outcome that's possible. I'm not predicting that, not saying it'll happen, but it is certainly possible in the current context. Well, it's already, I mean, it it, it, it is likely going to become illegal. I, I acknowledge that, but it's already unpopular. It's already, um, you know, people already regard it as offensive that I would publicly hold um, a, a biblical conviction that is contrary to the prevailing viewpoint in the culture today. That that's already, you know, like offensive. It already, you know, brings trolls my way um and and all kinds of heat. Um and so uh, I think that maybe the preparation for Christians is how do I how do I live with a greater concern about um, the holiness of God and his expectations and a longing to bear public witness to his kingdom principles, regardless, regardless of what that means, the outcomes are here. I guess what I'm talking about is preparing to live um, as a cultural minority. And that is a new posture. And it's the posture that I think is going to have to be learned. I absolutely agree with that. In fact, I don't know that we could be talking about a more critical issue, Carmen, than this right now. I am 62 years old. I kind of came of age in an era when evangelicals, if not in the majority, certainly had a plurality and had a sense of footing in the culture. I go back to the Reagan administration and kind of forward from that. And I've kind of grown up in a day when you had the right to be biblical. You had the right to have this morality. And a majority of America would agree with that on some position. That is a minority position in Christian history. That is certainly not what Jesus warned us about when he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's not what believers are facing in Cuba and China and North Korea and literally all around the world, in the Muslim world and across the world. That's not what Jesus said Christianity would typically be. So rather than trying to hold on to what's very much kind of a blip in history, a minority position, we need to align ourselves with believers across 20 centuries who are saying, as the apostle said to the Sanhedrin, we must serve God rather than man. When it comes to it, we have to make that choice. Yeah, I love that. I'm a part of something bigger and and I'm a part of something eternal, and I need to be uh, very, very focused on that in the days in which we live. Jim Dennison and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You can find all kinds of resources that will bless you at denisonforum.org. When we come back, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about money, death, and taxes. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You say come to the So I've uh, I've told you before, as you listen, that um, one of the things I rely on every single day is an email that I get from the Denison Forum, and so I want to encourage you to check that out. Um, one of the resources you will find at denisonforum.org um, is a resource uh, called What Does the Bible Say About Money, 
death and taxes, a sure thing. So it's really like, what does the Bible say about money? Question mark. And then death and taxes, a sure thing? Question mark. Jim Dennison, what does the Bible say about money? Well, we're not entirely happy with everything the Bible says about money. At the end of the day, Carbon, the Bible says it all belongs to God. It's kind of like the Monopoly game. You get it out, you play with it, but at the end of the day, it all goes back in the box, you know? Amen. uh, Absolutely. Yeah, and that's the point that I need to remember every single day. So there's a paragraph that C.S. Lewis wrote. Of course, every paragraph he wrote was remarkably changing so many of our lives, myself included. But he makes this statement, and it really is the reason I wrote the whole paper. It's in Mere Christianity. If I could read this real quickly. He says, the ordinary idea we all have before we become Christians is this. We take as our starting point our ordinary self with its various desires and interests. We admit that something else has claims on this self that interferes with its own desires. What we mean by being good is giving in to those desires. Some of the things we wanted to do turn out to be wrong, so we give them up. Others turn out to be right. We have to do them. Here's the point. But we're hoping all the time that when the demands have been met, the poor natural self will still have some chance, some time to get on with its own life and do what it likes. In fact, we're very like an honest man paying his taxes. He pays them all right, but he does hope there will be enough left over for him to live on. That's how we look at life like taxpayers who have to give God some, have to start the day with a Bible study or go Mm. to church on Sunday or listen to Christian radio or whatever to pay my dues. But I certainly hope there's part left over from me that belongs to me for me to do what I want. And the Bible says no to all of that. Okay, so I don't really know where I developed this sense, but I just live out of what I acknowledge is totally the overflow of God's blessing. So I am definitely a, and it's all his, it all came from him. It's all going to him. However he wants to use it is completely up to him. Every opportunity to bless somebody else, if I have the resources to do it, like I want to, I want to do that. I'm not, and I don't, it's the not giving begrudgingly. um, And, and there's always enough, like there's always enough because God always multiplies somehow what's there to meet the need uh, that that I have or my family has, and I, I just, it's a completely different, I, I understand that it's a completely different way of approaching it, and it's not like I learned it. It's just, I don't know, it's how I understand God to be God and who I am in relationship to Him and the sufficiency of His grace and His provision, and you know, I'm really content in plenty and in want. And doesn't that liberate you when you know totally. that at the end of the day you're the beloved child of God and he's going to care for you? Now, this, as we both know, this isn't presumption. This isn't playing on the freeway right. and expecting God to stop the trucks. There's a sense you're not jumping off the temple and expecting the angels. There's this as I work, God works as a partnership with God, absolutely to be sure. But in the partnership, there's no question that he's the king. He's not just my advisor. He's not just my counselor. He's not just my friend, although he's all of that. He's king of the realm. He's not just king of the castle. He's king of the realm. He's king of all. It all belongs to him. And at the end of the day, he will provide for me in a way that sometimes boggles what I expect. There's this an abundance mentality as opposed to a scarcity mentality that God wants us to get to, which is exactly what you're describing today. And I mean, no, I, I don't like writing big checks to the government, but I also genuinely appreciate like, you know, my local police officers. I appreciate our public schools. Um, I appreciate roads that don't have lots of potholes. And I recognize that all of those things are a part of 
being a, a member of a society where we pay taxes and then those taxes um, are used to do things together that, frankly, none of us wants to do on our own. I do not want to get together the people on my street and, and have everybody, you know, contribute to repave the road, right? I appreciate that that happens um you know, beyond my having to personally organize a group of people to get it done. But there's a we the people part of this that sometimes, Jim, I feel overburdened by the amount of taxes that I'm asked to pay. So there's a, right? I mean, there's a tension there. There is a tension, and it goes all the way back to the founders. It's this taxation without representation idea. They were very grateful to England for the provision that they gave them as founders, as the pioneers in this new world and all of that. But they also didn't want to be paying tax for what they didn't receive benefit from, and especially Mm. tax for that with with which they disagreed. And that's part of what we're facing as believers. If the day comes, for instance, when we're seeing taxpayer-funded abortion, or a day comes when our taxes are being used to fund other positions we know to be unbiblical and, and and unchristian, then at that point, we're facing some challenges inside this whole conversation. So I don't know that we're there yet, but that's certainly the trajectory. And it is. It's a complex issue. At the end of the day, though, there's a collective impulse that's at the heart of the Christian faith, where we're a body with many members, a vine with many branches, and democracy is in some ways a reflection of that, so that you and I don't have to pave our own streets, and we can be grateful. Yeah, I I guarantee you there are people listening right now who say we're already there in terms of taxpayer funding of things that as Christians um, we find morally reprehensible. And I guess I'm thinking about um, the way that now as a member of the military you can uh, demand uh, gender reassignment surgery Mm -hmm. and and all kinds of other things. And so um, that's definitely a conversation we're going to have to have in the future. But we have to leave it right there today. I love talking with you. I just what a privilege it. for me, Carmen. Thanks so much it's for so the honor. so energizing. Thank you. All right, that's Jim Dennison. You can check out all the resources available at denisonforum.org. We'll be right back. All right, some days I just, you know, I just gush that I get to do what I get to do every day. Um, and I recognize that it only happens because listeners like you support this ministry. And so... I want to say thank you again, um, and I'll do so over and over and over. For those of you who have stepped forward to partner with us financially in this ministry, uh, it is a blessing uh, to to participate. And if you are a person who receives benefit from the ministry and you have not ever um, stepped forward in faith to give to financially support the ministry, I'm just going to encourage you to have that conversation with God today. Just have that conversation with God today. Um, When we survey our charitable giving over the course of the year, many of us do that in anticipation of filing our federal income taxes. Let me just encourage you to consider that your charitable giving says a lot about your heart. I mean, where our money is, there our heart will be also, or it is there. So there you go. I don't know. There is there. I think you get what I'm saying. All right. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. I appreciate you spending this hour with me. Um, More fun yet to come. Love it if you would share the ministry with someone else. Become a missionary of the ministry. You can share the podcast from MyFaithRadio.com or the Faith Radio app. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.